This week, we welcome Sandy Dunn, Chief Information Security Officer for a large health pair in Idaho, to discuss security maturity from hostage negotiator to business leader. In the leadership and communications section, the Office of the CISO, a framework for the CISO, America's Cyber Reckoning, how to include cybersecurity training in employee onboarding, and more. Business Security Weekly starts now. This is Security Weekly, for security professionals, by security professionals. Broadcasting live from G-Unit Studios in Rhode Island, it's the show where we explore the business of security to improve the security of business. Your trusted source for actionable insights on leadership, communication, and innovation. Get ready for Business Security Weekly. Let's face it, cyber attackers have the advantage. Extra Hop is on a mission to help you take it back. Regain the upper hand with security that can't be undermined, outsmarted, or compromised. When you don't have to choose between protecting your business and moving it forward, that's security uncompromised. See how it works in the full product demo, free online at securityweekly.com forward slash extra hop. We're proud to announce CISO Stories, a new podcast series in partnership with Cybersecurity Collaborative and Cyber Reason. CISO Stories features the candid perspectives and experiences of frontline senior security executives and dives deep into timely security topics. CISO Stories is hosted by Todd Fitzgerald, VP of Cybersecurity Strategy at Cybersecurity Collaborative, and Sam Curry, Chief Product and Security Officer at Cyber Reason. Listen weekly as they speak with extraordinary CISOs by visiting securityweekly.com forward slash CSP. Welcome to Business Security Weekly. This is episode number 244, recorded December 20th, 2021. I am your host, Matt Alderman, here in the North Pole, Colorado. I mean, Colorado, Colorado. Joining me remotely are my co-hosts. First, Mr. Jason Albuquerque. Hey, Matt. You know, it feels like the frozen tundra here in Rhode Island. It's cold today, so. Uh, but, but, you know, cra- crazy weekend for football. I know you and I kind of fell off and and you know ben your your boys pulled it out so the cowboys pulled that out and and patriots not so good uh broncos not so good nope and the browns may not be so good tonight after tonight Uh, we'll see we'll We'll see see. (laughs) we'll see uh that leads me to my second co-host mr ben carr how are you ben hey matt jason good to be with you guys again yeah super cold here in austin at 60 degrees had to put on my sweatshirt today so i'm prepping my ice skate rink that i build in the backyard for the kids and you're in a you know you're in 60 degree weather <laughs> <laughs> we had that crazy wind last week and i think that jet stream brought a lot of cold air not only to colorado but to texas and a, and a bunch of other parts of the state so yeah we're all chilling don't miss any of your favorite security weekly content visit securityweekly.com forward slash subscribe to subscribe to any of our podcast feed and have all new episodes downloaded right to your phone you can also join our mailing list discord server and follow us on social media and our streaming platforms we had an absolute blast putting together this year's security weekly unlocked virtual event All presentations are now available on demand for your viewing pleasure. Please visit securityweekly.com forward slash unlock to register and watch now. Sandy Dunn is Chief Information Security Officer for a large health pair in Idaho with over 20 years in cybersecurity. Initially starting out in software and hardware sales, she worked with the NSA, JPL, 
Secret Service, IRS, and other federal agencies. Her roles in cybersecurity have included competitive intelligence, security engineer, information security officer, senior security strategist, and IT security architect. She prioritizes a risk-based, business-focused cybersecurity strategic approach through process standards and threat intelligence. She is an adjunct professor at Boise State University and their cybersecurity program, a frequent speaker on cybersecurity, and helped organize the first B-Sides Boise event in Boise, Idaho. Sandy, welcome to Business Security Weekly. Well, thank you for having me. Now, I think you've been on other Security Weekly podcasts in your history. I think this is your first time on Business Security Weekly, though, so welcome here, uh, but welcome back to the network. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. So as we were preparing for this, you, you, there was something that just stood out during our prep call that, that I, I created the topic for this one, and the, and the title was uh, Hostage Negotiator to Business Leader. I thought that was a really interesting take on kind of your journey in cybersecurity. Give us a little bit of background on the hostage negotiation start to your career. Well, I, I think any CISO can relate to the fact of trying to bridge the gap between your program and the business. Uh, you know, the trying to help everyone understand how to prioritize, how to build out, you know, simple things like why every production environment needs a test and dev environment. So um, uh, asking them to slow down and include security testing or defining security requirements before they rush a product out the door. So it, when I talk about hostage negotiations, I, I really see it as, um, you know, when you look at a hostage situation, you have you know, one person, two upset parties, and you're trying to get everyone to the table to uh, so you can move forward and nobody dies in the process. <laughs> you mean slow down the business, Sandy? Who would have thought? You can't do that. <laughs> yeah. Now, Jason, you probably have very similar situations where, you know, it's that constant kind of negotiation between yeah, the business team, security yeah. teams, trying to integrate security capabilities, but also not slow down the business, right? That, that's the key, right? And, and, and it's funny that, you know, Sandy brings up hostage negotiation. I've always called myself the, the mediator, you know what I mean? Where you're coming into the business and, and really trying to, to enable the best practices while not be seen as a roadblock to the business. And that's, that's really the, you know, the, the, the act of, of magic that we have to perform as CISOs is really be, be able to walk in the door and show we can enable the business um, and, while at the same time protecting the business and, and really start shifting that mindset as, as being that roadblock. You know? and, and, and that's, that's the art. That's the art of negotiation. Right. And, and also saying that we need their help, you know, almost crowdsourcing security yep. into the business 100%. saying, you know, we need, we need your support to do this well. Like it can't be just a team of, of people <laughs> in a silo. I mean, and we talk about it as CISOs, Jason, I, I'm sure you and Ben talk about this all the time, that when you're going out and building a culture, part of that is not only getting everyone to think about security, but also, um, helping them realize that that we can only protect a business if we're all trying to do it together. We've got to be working together to protect the business. We can't be at odds. If our internal teams are 
are the ones that we're trying to catch or detect, that's a, that's a huge problem. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I mean, the term, the term is played out at this point, you know, shared responsibility. But I'll say years ago, I used that to my advantage as much as I could to really, to really hit home with the other business unit leaders to say, I, and, and, and ultimately the, the seed I was trying to plant is, I can't do this without you. My team can't do this without you. So let's create relationships up and downstream. You know, myself and yourself as a business unit leader that all report up to the CEO. Let's find the relationships at the director and VP levels so we can start building the relationships there. And then ultimately come up with a plan to, to have this be a level of accountability and responsibility across the entire business to the point where I started working with business unit leaders to have liaisons within their department. Having yes. staff within their team, let's say the finance team, the office of the CFO, or in HR, and have folks dedicated to being engaged with us on a frequency, on a regular basis. We had a cadence with them. So they were the evangelists within their business unit. Yeah, right. this is delivering that as well, Jason, like we're using kind of that business information security officer or, or security mm-hmm. champions, right, to embed in the business. Their day job is, like you said, finance, legal, development. But they've got some type of responsibility, some dotted line back into the security org. And, you know, I think um, you, you really have to build that pull, not just the push of security. Yep. And it, it really has to become, become everybody's role. Some part of it has to be related to security within the company. I mean, it's just like quality used to be. And, and as important as that is, I also want to push, um, you know, I feel very strongly about myself and everyone on my team listening as much as talking, telling them about security and why it's important, but being a great listener too and understanding about their job, what it, what's the challenges that they have? Because, you know, something as simple as from a security perspective, we may be saying, hey, we want you to log in from a jump box because of the security benefits to it. But if we don't understand how that impacts their efficiency or their ability to do work, then we may have just created something where they're all of a sudden they can't meet their goals. They can't, you know, we're, yeah. we've set them up to fail. So, you know, as much as I like to talk about security, I think it's really important to be a listener too. It, it, it's, it's absolutely imperative. Right. And, and, you know, we as security professionals and security teams need to understand that part of our responsibility is to learn the business. So that has to be part of our everyday where we're learning the business. And the only way to do that is to listen to the business units, right? And, and have them tell us about their processes and what they're doing on the daily and, and really, you know, their strategic goals and where they're heading for the, for the next fiscal year, their, their outlook and their plan and really learn the business of each business unit. So that way, holistically, you have that view across the entire organization. But only more get than, there by and, and sit with them, right, Jason? I mean, yeah. do more than just say, oh, okay, here's your sales objectives. But really, mm-hmm. I mean, going even uh, into a deeper level and sitting with them and trying to understand how they do their jobs, you know, Absolutely. so that you have that information. And then when you go back and you solution it, um, you, you should be able to come up with something that um, is reasonable and moves the yeah. whole business forward. Yeah. And, and, and the benefit of doing that and really understanding the process and what they do on a daily basis is now you can have that you know 40,000 foot view of the entire organization and start realizing economies of scale across business units, right? That's, that's the beauty of learning the business of, you know, and, and, and really being a partner to every business unit. I, I found it very beneficial. You can start seeing trends between different business units and realize economies of scale. 
Yeah. And, and none of this is, you've mentioned that. I mean, it's not like we're coming up with um, ideas that people haven't discussed before, but um, you know, making sure that um, you're, you're being open, you know, let people find your team approachable, you know, so that they know that, hey, we don't see, we don't understand what you do. Don't be worried about asking us a dumb question. I'd ask you a dumb question if I asked something about finance, you know, come to us, you know, let's talk about what you're trying to do. And let me explain what we're trying to do. And let's figure out how to the best path forward. And that's really, when I talk about negotiations, that's what I'm trying to get to is I want to make sure that they're successful and getting their help. So I'm successful. We talked uh, about relationships and, and, and listening to the business. The other thing we, we talked about a little bit as well, Sandy, is our language. Uh, yeah. You know, how do we simplify that? You know, cybersecurity is a complex, can be a very complex topic. So how do you make that really understandable by the different business units that may know nothing about security, just like you may not know anything about finance, right? Like, Language matters here in these conversations as well, doesn't it? It it does. I one of my experiences with it was I was in talking to customer service and talking about social engineering, and I'd went on for probably a good thirty five minutes before I realized that they had no idea what I meant when I was saying social engineering. Like that term did not make sense to them, and I was like, "Well, okay." Well, social engineering is basically people who are lying and trying to trick you, and then all of a sudden. It made sense. Um, and I think the one that we talked about, Matt, was, you know, insider threat. And that, if you think about it, that really sounds terrible. I'm walking in and, and telling a bunch of people that I don't trust them. You know, is there a better way? Is there a better word to use? Um, when I was down at HISAC, they talked about, instead of saying insider threat, maybe we should co- go to people and say uh, critical asset protection. You know, to me, that sounds a lot better than than accusing people, you know, of, of basically being the problem, even though it may, in some cases, be true. Yeah, Sandy, we we operate in a vacuum sometimes, right? Isn't that don't you think we we kind of think about it in the, the context and the terms that we use? And I think you're touching on a really interesting point that I, I've really started to to spin on. We need to think about the psychology of what we're trying to accomplish in, in you know both mm-hmm. in business terms and also in our personal terms, like how to get the things that we need accomplished by using a, a more intelligent way to get there, right? We we use the hammer a lot. And I think it, it'd be a lot more helpful to use the the, the carrot and, and try to get to a point of positivity with both our customers and our internal stakeholders. Yep. I, I um, one of the pieces of, of advice was what my mother uh, told me about uh, getting my children to eat vegetables. She said, well, you know, you're, you keep talking about that they have to eat vegetables. Why don't you tell them that they, you know, it gives them superpowers and they'll get stronger and faster and better. And all of a sudden my kids were, you know, loved vegetables because instead of telling them they had to eat vegetables, I was pointing out all the benefits of, of what would happen when they ate vegetables. So you're exactly right. I mean, it's really it really is about psychology. And the interesting thing is, is it's psychology that we learn every day when we're out in our normal relationships. Right. So how do we convince people that multi-factor authentication is actually beneficial? (laughs) Well, so my serious answer to that is quit calling it multi-factor 
factor authentication. I mean, like somehow we've got to be able to tell people like, you know, this is your second key to protect your assets or something like, and then give them the ability, um, give them as simple a process as possible to follow what we're asking them to do. Instead of, you know, like there's so many choices. They have Duo, they have Authenticator. Now Microsoft has one. You know, for the people in my life who aren't technical, all I'm doing, I'm picking the one that I want them to use because I know I have to support it. And then I'm giving them a very simple step-by-step thing to follow (laughs) so that um, I don't get too many follow-up questions. Uh, That's a great way to think about it. I think the industry's done itself a little bit of damage with the language, right? Because think about this for a second. Insider threat, multi-factor authentication, security awareness, we could go on with a number of terms, right? Came from analysts, right? We've created these sub-markets around them. And then as security practitioners and vendors, we market the crap out of these terms that may or may not resonate very well with with like who we're trying to actually protect, like our employees or even consumers in, in some respects, right? So have we done ourselves some damage by just using some of this language instead of trying to keep it more simple? And, and really, I think that was the point when you and I were having our pre-call is what I was trying to make is take a step back and try to look at your communication from their perspective. For whoever you're you're working with, um, try to take a step back and say, okay, if if all I knew was you know legal, I'm an expert at, at law, um, and I'm not very technical. Would would what she's saying make sense to me? Um, so that's that was really kind of the outcome of this meeting. I was hoping to discuss with everyone was just like, is there an opportunity to be better communicators. And I'm using the term hostage negotiations. <laughs> I mean, ultimately, Matt, this is, this is why leadership and communication segment exists, right? It's to, it's to start having those conversations with current and future cybersecurity leaders on effective communication, communication where you, know, you, can, you can know your audience and deliver it correctly and really start aligning to the business, right? And, and speaking their language versus you know, a CFO, a CFO who's going to look at us like a, you know, a technical wonk if, we, if we're coming at him yeah. with all of the, the techie speak. We're, we're trying to break that, right? We're trying to break the fact that it's not just technology. We need to speak the language of the business. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Totally so, Sandy, the last topic we touched on a little bit was curiosity. I'm curious how curiosity has kind of fueled your cybersecurity career. Uh, obviously, you, you know it, you've matured and, and changed your approach over the years because you started on the very technical side. Now, as a chief information security officer, we're talking about being a business listener and, and talking about communication and language and how it matters and how to simplify it. But how has curiosity played a role in that maturity as well? Well. I so for me being curious is what's driven my whole security career. I'm just always wondering how things worked or why it worked. And I think when you and I were talking about it, Matt, I was, you know, where I'm at right now is is I look at different things. You know, even um, clear back into leadership and history and things. Always being curious about, you know, how do we? Is there a way to do this better? Is there a way? 
You know, why don't the people understand where the issues are? Um, why is it such a problem? You know, why, you know, even, you know, why do people share so much on social media? That's baffling to me. Um, why don't they verify facts? You know, just always trying to understand the why behind um, what makes the momentum of, of the cybersecurity profession in general. Like, um, yeah, I'm just curious. <laughs> Are, have you ever thought about kind of what's next for you? Because Ben and Jason and I talk about the evolution of the CISO role and where does it go mm -hmm. next, right? Uh, and we've talked about a couple particular paths that the CISOs could move to. Chief Risk Officer, um, a good friend, John Fredrickson, was a CISO, now a, a Chief Risk Officer. We were talking right before the segment because got some a, a few of us know him. You know, like... Are you curious about where your role evolves now that you're a CISO? Like, what's next for Sandy? What kind of curiosity is there? Yeah, and so that's a great question because I did struggle with it a little bit because um, I really love being a CISO, but I'm always driven by challenges. So, okay, now, no, what do I do? And that's part of the reason I started teaching was because I'd never created a course before. And, oh, you know, and I went into it very um, naively, um, not really knowing what I was doing and uh, learned a lot along the way. Um, I have some ideas on, on the future, but it's, I think you touch on a really important point, which is, I think most of the people who are CISOs are all there's something that attracts you to a dumpster fire if you want to be a CISO. I mean, there's something that you you love being right in the middle of a great big disaster and trying to figure out how to make it work better. And as soon as you kind of get the plane righted, you're ready for the next big disaster. So um, it's an in, I think I have my path figured out, but um, it, it's important to always keep that in front of you. You know, what's what what kind of uh, thing? What thing makes you really excited and kind of scares you at the same time? So is the chief dumpster fire officer pre or post <laughs> chief information security officer? <laughs> I think it's a, it's almost a subtitle to your CISO. I mean, I'm, I was, I started reading, um, they tell me this is how the world ends and the complexity around the sale of zero days and vulnerabilities. And, you know, I was listening to your guys's podcast. I think it was from last week where you're talking about healthcare in general and IOT on the network. I mean, this is, we have an unbelievably complex problem to solve. So, so the answer to that, Matt is, you know, my, my risk mind comes into play. And the questions I have is how big is the dumpster and what are the contents? Yeah, really. <laughs> right. That's what I'm wondering. Is it pre or post? I that mean, matters. Well, it matters. It ma that yeah. matters. <laughs> yeah, it does. And I, I say that all the time because as CISOs, we get job offers from all over the place. And I think the thing that keeps you, you're always afraid of a suicide mission. You're afraid of jumping into something where you, you can't be successful. Yeah, he yeah, got I mean, a challenge with a lot of uh, a lot of organizations, right? Is they haven't they haven't figured out. What, Matt, you and I have talked about this for sure. I think Jason, we have too. Like companies aren't sure what they want, and so even if they mm -hmm. say they want to see so many times, like, do you really want to see so, or are you just looking for a director of uh, security, right. right? And and based upon that that mismatch, yeah, a lot of CISOs find themselves in places that they aren't aligned to either because of the type of CISO they are or what the company's looking for or just 
you know, we want to see so, but there's no funding, there's no resources and, you know, have fun. It, it can be yeah. a really disheartening role when you get in something like that. Yep. And hey, yeah, by the way, you're buried three levels deep into the leadership team. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is true. I mean, because it's, you know, it, that matters, I think, for a lot of people to figure out, like, what is that role and what is that alignment? And am I walking into a dumpster fire? And do I want a dumpster fire? Because, you know, for me, that's not what I would want. <laughs> that's <laughs> not at all, right? And and so how do you know that going into I don't like it being a huge wreck. Yeah, I, some people I like, like it, it when it's a huge disaster. I mean, I, I do. I love it when you're, you know, your heart's pumping and your mouth is dry. I mean, I don't mind that. What I, but I do want to at least think that I can solve the problem. You know, I, so Sandy, I like you, high pressure situations. But when you head in, Sandy, are you asking if I can bring a can of gas to the fire and like just clean it out <laughs> and start fresh? Can I, can I back a new dumpster in? Well, I, I do want to solve it, but I don't mind that it's, <laughs> it's burning and on fire as long as I have, yeah. you know, some, some help with the fire extinguisher. And it, it really but comes do you down enjoy to post breach. What do, was do that? you like post breach? Do you like post breach? Is that your thing? Do you enjoy getting in like after there's been a big issue and kind of coming in and fixing it? Yeah, I do. I yeah. do. I, I like it, it. So I really like trying to figure out how did we get here and how do how did we get out? I mean, it's the complex problems. Uh, what I hate, you know, like the worst uh, job in the world to me is when it's just the same old dry stuff every day. Jason? You like the dry stuff? I do not like the dry stuff at all. But, you know, for, for me, it's, it's, are you enabled to win the game, right? Yes. So it's having the conversation up front with, you know, if, if you're applying for a CISO role or, or you're moving into a CISO role, it's figuring out whether or not the game is set up for you su to succeed, right? So can you win the game? Can you measure the game? Uh, those are all important things to me because, if, if, if your support system doesn't allow you to measure and win the game, you're in a losing battle, obviously, right? So, you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna put myself in a position where it's inevitable failure, right? You have to have yeah. that support system of upper management, the CEO, the board of directors, your business unit leaders. Otherwise, you're just gonna be crawling uphill the whole time. And and they have to be open to hearing the truth. Mm -hmm. you know, like if if they want you to come in every time and say, "Yep, we're everything's great." Um, you know, that's not, yeah, you have to, you have to be able to feel comfortable that you can be open and transparent and tell the truth. Agreed. Yeah, that's super Agreed. critical. Agreed. Uh, gentlemen, any additional questions while we have Sandy? Good to go. Awesome. Yep. Sandy, thank you so much for joining us on Business Security Weekly. Thank you, guys. Uh, and with that, we're going to take a quick break and then cover the leadership and communications articles for this week. Every 11 seconds, there's a new ransomware attack. Oil pipelines, universities, corporations, all paying millions of dollars. Barracuda says, don't pay the ransom. Before a ransomware attack occurs, train your teams to recognize an attack and use anti-phishing technology. Protect your applications and they can't get onto your network. Simple backup and restore solutions quickly recover your data without paying the ransom. Build your ransomware protection plan now by visiting securityweekly.com forward slash barracuda. That's securityweekly.com forward slash barracuda. 
People require access from anywhere to resources everywhere, but legacy security is ill-equipped for today's hybrid organization. AppGate STP delivers zero-trust network access for hybrid workforces and workloads, empowering trusted users with secure, frictionless connections to only what they need. Make your attack surface invisible and reduce time to provision by 91% with AppGate SDP, a leader in the 2021 Forrester ZTNA new wave. Learn more at securityweekly.com forward slash AppGate. Cyber risk and compliance automation is finally here. Legacy GRC systems cannot support the powerful, real-time automation and oversight that organizations require to take risks that matter to succeed. CyberSync continuous control automation ingests data from the ITGRC stack to update controls against regulatory requirements and risks in real time, delivering insights and visibility. See how members of the Fortune 500 are saving millions annually by visiting securityweekly.com forward slash CyberSync. Welcome back to Business Security Weekly. I am your host, Matt Alderman, joined by Jason Albuquerque and Ben Carr. Security Weekly listeners save $100 on your RSA Conference 2022 full conference pass. RSA Conference will be live in San Francisco, February 7th to 10th, 2022. Security Weekly will be there in full force, delivering real-time live coverage and interviewing some of the event's top speakers and sponsors. To register using our discount code, please visit securityweekly.com forward slash RSAC 2022 and use the discount code 52UCYBER. We hope to see you there. Join us January 20th to learn how to build your own security lab at home. Don't ask me to do it, but I think the gentleman on this webcast will be perfect for that. Don't forget to check out our library of on-demand webcasts and technical trainings by visiting securityweekly.com forward slash on-demand. All right, gentlemen, our last set of articles for the week. And as you guys know me, I try not to do like the predictions for 2022, and we're not going to do a bunch of New Year's resolution <laughs> junk when we get back. So let's get to some meaty articles instead of the yeah. fluff pieces. <laughs> so this first article, I pulled a couple art. I had so many articles last week because we were off for a couple weeks that I saved a couple for this week. And the first one was this whole discussion about the C-suite's concern around regulatory sanctions after ransomware yeah. attacks. Because we've seen this uptick in ransomware this year. We've seen guidance from the U.S. saying, you know, the Treasury, don't pay the ransom, don't pay the ransom. Um, this is an ISC squared study out of, I believe, the UK, out of Europe, looking at some of the concerns from the sure. C-suite when it comes to ransomware. And their biggest concern is really like, are we going to get more regulated? Like, they're not regulated enough, right? <laughs> no, and, and honestly, something I didn't see in the article, and it's, it's, it's some trending that I'm starting to see across the industry, is will we be covered by cyber liability insurance in the future? We've had mm. so many customers as of the last 30 to 60 days, getting letters saying they will no longer have cyber liability insurance. It's absolutely amazing the amount of folks that, and a lot of, amount of organizations that are receiving these letters. Uh, it's concerning to me because that's, that's a place where they'll no longer be able to lean on insurance in the after effect, yeah, right? And, so and Jason, I don't know if you've noticed concern. in those, but, but the things that have been outscoped, right? Or the exclusions that have yeah. been put in. So. You know, um, I noticed that uh, nation state, a lot of insurers are putting in, yep. you know, exclusions. So if it's nation state related, then they're not required. Act of they're war. They're essentially calling it act, act of war, war, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, even though yeah, war I hasn't mean, formally been declared. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but it's, it, it's, it, it's really starting to become concerning to me 
as I'm seeing this, this, I'll call it telemetry coming through, as we have clients raise their hand and say, oh no, what do I do? I literally just got a letter saying I'm no longer going to be insured for cyber. It's, that's a scary place to be, right? And, and yeah, I mean, some of, them get, some of them get letters saying we're going to try to find a new provider or something like that, but there's no, you know, there's no guarantee. And then with that letter, there's a list of like 15 things that they're going to have to show evidence of in order to even gain that back if they can find a new provider. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm interested, Matt, both Matt and Jason, like your thoughts on, you know, if you think about, you brought up insurance, like, are we asking the wrong questions, right? I read an article yeah. basically comparing, you know, the cost of insurance versus in a way self-insuring by making a further investment in your cyber program. Sure. Like yep. it's actually less expensive in a lot of cases to invest the right amount of money to do the protection. Yeah. So this article, I, I was interested like, are, are we worried about, you know, regulations and sanctions, or should we just really worry about protecting things the right way on the front side? Like, sanctions yep. and regulations uh-huh. are a result of not doing the things that we should do. That's exactly it. That's exactly it, you know? And, and it, it's, it's funny, as, as you're reading through the article, you see that 71% of the organizations feel that they're well-prepared. Are we overestimating our preparedness? Because oh, yeah. the news, you know, the uh, you know, if you, if you're looking at the wire, it sure doesn't show that 71 percent of organizations are well prepared. I mean, look at everything that's happening. You know, so yeah, would 71 percent of CISOs there. say they're well prepared? That's the real question, right? I mean, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, no, I don't think so. Look, I, 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 oh gosh, we're not going to get to all the articles at this rate. So, a <laughs> couple things. <laughs> Number one, cyber insurance was the easy button. Ben for a lot yeah, of people yeah. because yeah. they didn't have to justify the investments because they were getting put into policies, base policies as part of your general liability insurance. And so people are like, hey, I don't have to do anything. I've got a cyber policy. We knew these chickens were going to come home to roost. Mm-hmm. We knew darn yep. well that at some we point- We talked about this two years ago, Matt. We talked about this exactly, two years ago. That as, as claims went up, two, one of two things were going to happen. You were either going to go out and assess to change the premiums, or you're going to start dropping people. Here we are, two years later, in in exactly the scenario we knew was going to play out. So the reason nobody made the investment, Ben, is because cyber insurance was the easy button. It was included in my policy. I'm good to go. Now we've learned. Now, let's take the second side of this. 71% prepared. We just ran an InfraGuard survey. The median score was 68 out of 100. That's a D at best. That's a Mm -hmm. D at best. There's no way 71% of organizations are prepared for ransomware, and that was a ransomware baseline study, okay? So our data is off, guys, and all we're going to see is more of this. So the fourth, I think the fourth recommendation in this article is to look at your investments. Yeah, it's like going back to the basics. Like, (laughs) how are you going to build a security program and and make the investments so you're not caught off guard and then having these regulators breathe down your neck for the next three mm-hmm. years. Yeah. 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 And I mean, I, I mean, think we're in it. Go ahead, Jason. Well, I was, I was going to say, I think, it, you know, it, is this that aligning of the stars that's going to force us as cybersecurity leaders and business leaders to really change our mindset? Because we're going to be over-regulated, right? We're going to have high fines in front of us. And at the end of the day, our binky is getting pulled out of our mouth and thrown in the trash. No more yeah. cyber liability insurance is in our future. This is, it has to force some behavior. And, and I think really right now, like there's an interesting 
concept that companies should think about, there's a first mover advantage here, right? Like if you if you get out there in front of this and you actually put a good program in place, you have the capability now to say you've got a competitive advantage. And so from a sales perspective, yeah. you could lead with that. But you know, yep. five years from now, 10 years from now, when that's not there anymore, you won't have that fast mover advantage. You'll just right. be trying to keep up. So I, th- I think actually companies need to think about this in just a different way than they have been. It's It, it really could be a beneficial outcome. Well, and, and at just, the end of the day, that's our job as the security leaders of the business is to go in front of the business unit leaders and show how it can become a competitive advantage. This is the differentiation that we bring to the table for our customers. We have to be... That, that's why understanding the business is an, is, is an incredible critical. thing once you have that. Yeah. When, you know, that's... that's, that's incredible intelligence that you have on how you can take security, make it a true business enabler and a competitive advantage. Yeah. We're going to get to America's cyber reckoning. This article that we're going to cover in like three more to me brings all this together, right? We've just kind of sat back and just let this happen. We need to change our approaches and it happens at the federal level as well. This is not mm-hmm. just an organizational thing. And th- I think this article we're going to cover here in a few minutes is is really this culmination of all this stuff coming to a head, guys, because how else yeah. do we address it? Um, the first recommendation, not, uh, not to get too far ahead, is we need a standard data security uh, regulation, right? That's like, right. That's right. We've talked about this, Jason. Like, Stop making us juggle, juggle 50. Government. Stop exactly. making us juggle 50. Come on. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And it leads back into this. All right. So before we get there, the three pillars of the office of the CISO, uh, interesting way to think about this. They talk about the office of the CISO. It's not a single person. It's it's multiple yep. kind of roles in, in the office. You've got your strategy, governance, oversight. You have your operational side. And then they call this thing talking and partnering, which I assume is building relationships, understanding the business and being there to make sure you're a business <laughs> leader. But I, that's what I assumed it was. Yeah, me, me, me too. I, I struggled with a little, uh, a little of this because there's, I mean, there's so much more and I'm hoping that, you know, in this strategy, there's more components than the bullets that are listed under each one of them. Right. I mean, just training and enablement is one that I didn't see and not training and enablement for the security staff. I'm talking business training and enablement for the entirety of the business. Right. I didn't see that in here anyway. Or is that just folded into operations? I don't know. I don't yeah, know. Operations it, was a strange bucket because it seemed really like project manager recruiting, onboarding, and you know, minimize at the end, yeah. tuning, crisis preparation and testing, right? But actually running right. running the program and the tools, like the core of operations, kind of seemed to be downplayed here. So I, I don't know. That was strange. Right. right. Yeah. I mean, in general, operations make sense because there's a lot of operational components, but not the way they were summarized here to, to both of your points. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I would look at this as if you're just getting started, this could give you a good trajectory into making an office of the CISO, but there's a lot more to this, right? As, as you start to mature, maybe this is a good way to, to start making a move if you haven't already. <laughs> and I've seen this office of the CISO term used, but, but mainly for companies that are offering services and they have you know virtual yeah. CISOs or field CISOs like offering services around it. it so, yeah, that, that's, um, that's it too, right? It's, it's, it's um, the client-facing side. Right, yeah. more a, right. a lot like the office of the CTO for an IT services organization. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. if you're a fearless CISO, you can secure your environment with four simple things. Just four easy ones. Right? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, one, I, I one mean, from every one from every house in Harry Potter, right? One wand from every house. <laughs> <laughs> right. no. uh, you I are mean, this article. This article starts out pretty good, right? Commit to a zero trust strategy. Talk about managing managing compliance risk and privacy. We've talked about risk a lot. Then it goes straight to like technical, like. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So XDR you and SIM? Those first two, then you go straight to XDR <laughs> and SIM. Like, are you kidding? Right. Yeah. And use MFA. Like, okay. Like, it's very, very targeted at the end. It, it was strange how well, they I mean, did that. I, I, agree. I, I looked at this article the second I started to read it and start getting down to like bullet. As soon as I got into bullet one toward the end of it, I started realizing that this was a product pitch. I mean, you get to bullet two, it's a product pitch. It is. Or a, but, or a suite of products, I'll say. <laughs> yes, a suite of products. Because I, I believe this came from the Cisco side of the house. I think I think it was one of the no, Cisco Microsoft. CISOs. This was Microsoft. Oh, was I would have thought Microsoft. 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 Uh, Defender, yeah. Sentinel, and uh, yeah. what else? Yeah. They, they use now, Azure now, AD, right? Way, at the end of the day, you know I'm a fan of building out an ecosystem. You know I'm a fan of having yeah. that, you know, that consistency across technologies. I'm a fan of that. But the article was set up as to be educational and knowledge share, and then it got into product pitch, which right. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't if, really dig that. Because if you're going to build a zero trust strategy, it's devices, users, applications, network, mm -hmm. and data. Yep. Where does XDR and SIM? I mean, yes, okay, I got to do some logging. I got to do this, that, and the other thing. MFA kind of ties to it, but you missed so many other pieces. Yeah. They have to be addressed if you're going to go down a zero trust <clears throat> strategy. So, yeah. yeah. Anyways. All right. My big article of the day. Uh, this is America Cyber Reckoning. This gives a tremendous amount of history about the previous administrations and the current administration's kind of thought process around America's cybersecurity strategy. Now, you know, I just did a lunch and learn internally last week around the origins of the NIST cybersecurity framework, mm -hmm. the zero trust architecture that's also come out from NIST and kind of where the current executive order is going to take this. But that's not enough. And this article really gets into some brass tacks like what has to happen in Washington to yeah. move us forward from a cyber defense perspective, from a security perspective. Yeah. And the first one, first practical step the administration should take is to prioritize the defense of data, not as a bunch of state regulations, but as a federal That's requirement. Right. That's right. So, so now, uh, you know, I've, I've been involved in, in some of this because I sit on Congressman Langevin's Cybersecurity Advisory Committee. He's a, he's a congressman from Rhode Island. Um, he, he co-chairs the cybersecurity caucus in DC. He's really been, uh, I'll call him the OG of cybersecurity at the federal government level. I mean, he's going on 12, 13 years of preaching from upon high about how important cybersecurity should be. So, I mean, kudos to Congressman Langevin for fighting that fight for so long. Uh, you know, a lot of the recommendations you're seeing about the future. And, and again, let's look in the rear view mirror for about two seconds here and say, we failed in the past, but now let's look in the windshield and make some good changes for the future because I'm sick of looking in the rearview mirror complaining about the past. But ultimately, I don't know if you guys know about the, the Cyber Solarium Commission, uh, but that's where uh, the new cybersecurity director came in from. He started as that, that Solarium Commissioner, uh, a commission. He was on that commission as one of the board members. Um, Anglis, I believe is his name. And, uh, you know, a lot of these recommendations came out of this Solarium Commission. And I'm glad to see 
Because again, these are subject matter experts that they brought in to start shifting the mindset of the federal government and how they view cybersecurity. Number one was putting a director in place. Coming out of the commission as well was have a federal level privacy uh, law or or policy that can be go across all 50 states instead of of having individual states. So I hope that a lot of the information and recommendations that came out of that Solarium Commission uh, get implemented because they're really, really good strategies that the federal government needs to look at. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, at a high level, Jason, don't you think this is kind of a macrocosm of what we face, like an individual company level with, you know, where does the CISO report? Like, what's the responsibility? Mm-hmm. What's the investment? Yep. I mean, it's the, it's the same discussion. And, you know, I, 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 I applaud the whole, you know, let's, let's create a space force, but I, I really think like a cyber force would have been much more <laughs> beneficial in the long run. Right. I mean, I, I think we're, we're still missing out on the importance and where the focus needs to be to actually get yeah. some real change at the federal level. Yeah, ag- agreed. And, 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 you know, uh, again, I say kudos to the folks who are on this, uh, number one, on the cybersecurity caucus from a, you know, from a, a congressman and from a Senate, you know, a Senate perspective, because just, just in conversations, ripping through the bu- bureaucracy that's self-inflicted on our federal government is just an insane task to tackle, right? I mean, we've built so much bureaucracy within our, within our government that, it's 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 a tough nut. So changing hearts and minds to that degree has taken a long time. But this is, right now is the opportunity, and you're absolutely correct. We need to have, you know, that that department uh, that that the newly minted director is in be strategic for all of our federal agencies. Yeah, yeah I mean, independence got, and authority. Yes, one hundred percent. Yeah, you've got CISA really stepping up with a lot of guidance, but they don't have enough budget. The, the money that has been allocated is, is definitely not enough to continue that. Yeah. And, and so you're, and you're also going to have to leverage the FBI, potentially uh, relationships overseas. I mean, we have serious economic potential issues between what's happening with Russia and China and other countries. Like our economic viability hinges yeah. a lot on our cyber defense strategy going forward because if we don't get this stuff in look at the supply chain issues we already have what happens yep. when you shut down a power grid what happens when you shut down other components that are that are fueling the economy i mean uh, yeah i mean you know i had these, these are conversations that we've talked about on the show these are conversations we've talked about with paul in the past that you know as as a nation state these days. It's not about bullets and bombs anymore. Mm -hmm. How do you want to cripple a competitive nation? You take out their energy, you take out their water, you take out their ability to, to, to to grow food and deliver food. You, you, that's how you take them out at their knees and you cripple their economy, you cripple their business. And I think, I think, you know, you see a lot of nation states that have recognized this, right? I mean, it's truly a forced disruptor. I mean, okay, you can't compete, you know, with the U.S. on a military level, but if you cripple the supply operations that deliver fuel to the military, if you cripple the information systems that are actually, you know, making it easy for U.S. to target a a nation, then then what what use is the military, right? And so I think that's where I see, I think as you rightly pointed out, the next battlefield isn't going to be physical, right? It's going no. to be fought in a digital space. It 100%. is one hundred percent. Because if you're if if you're in the heat of the battle, what's one of the first things you figure out? How to cut off the supply chains? Our supply yep. chains are all digital. 
in in the yeah, world. The next shock and, and awe is is going to be with the computer. It's not going to be sending you know missiles to take out you know agreed, uh, anti-air agreed. batteries. Yep. Yeah. The the bullets will come out later when it's when it's literally occupation time. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, that's you know the the, the boots on the ground are gone. I don't, I don't see the boots on the ground anymore. You know, it's it's going to be one of those scenarios where you take down a you take down a country. And then you bring the military in just to tie things up. Yeah, and and secure the the perimeter and to and yep. you know take care of the people. But most of the battle is going to be fought remotely <laughs> with drones. So, and all so, kinds of other things. so ultimately, we need to start bringing our A game at the federal level, right? Because uh, agreed. I, I mean, this last paragraph I think sums it up. If American policymakers have learned anything in the past decade, it is that cyber conflict is a murky business, one that resists black and white notions about war and peace. That lack of clarity in the battle space makes it all that more important for Washington to be clear about its goals and strategies. Yeah. Like, that's it. Like, that's do 100%. It. That's why I wanted to cover this article because I think it is so no, it's, important. It's, for it's, our it's a good one. It's a good one for the future future of this country. Yeah. All right. I did pull in one set of cybersecurity priorities for 2022. It's an IDG <laughs> report. I, I I only did it because I I'm curious. Like, has anything really changed? I I just did a I I, I do moderate some of our CISO roundtables. Um, the the cybersecurity collaboration forum does um, monthly peer to peer roundtables across the country. I actually hosted and moderated um, the last one last Thursday with the uh, with a group in Arkansas, and I was curious, like the things I took out of that discussion because we talked about you know what's on your priority list for next year. I wanted to compare it to this article, like. Is there a connection between what I hear from the CISOs in the field versus what all these surveys say? Mm. Here's my take. So data, cloud data protection technologies, top priority list. Did I hear that? Kinda. I'm hearing a lot around application security and moving more and more of application security controls to the left because that is where they see a lot of gaps. They don't have a good idea of what, uh, what, what, Third party, you know, Log4j vulnerability last week, you know, just highlighted all the dependencies in your code, right? So application security is pretty top on the list. Not as much about cloud, but if you're running applications in the cloud, yeah, there's some crossover. But I didn't hear a lot about cloud data protection. I heard a lot about AppSec last week. So mm, yeah. maybe a little misalignment. The second one was... Um, around SOAR technologies, right? CISOs have also indicated high interest or use of security orchestration, automation, and response. Guess what I heard from the uh, CISO? They're actually reevaluating their SIMs first. They're not ready yeah. for SOAR. They're right. actually trying to figure out, <clears throat> is this SIM going to scale for me? Can I afford this SIM? Because a lot of regulated industries have to store a lot of data. I, yeah. I've got a lot of CISOs re-looking at their SIM strategies for next year to oh, offload the costs before they're ready to go down a sore path. So again, yeah, I mean, see a little mismatch. Yeah, I've had a ton yeah. of conversations with folks around them building out their internal SIM, realizing that it's way too much of a nut for them to chew off, couldn't handle it, too much data, really becoming more noise than anything, and they're looking at an outsourcing strategy, right? How do we how do we uplift or or forklift what we built internally that doesn't seem to be adding value 
and maybe put it in the hands of subject matter experts and, and outsource it there. And then take the folks that you have today and make them more strategic in the business, right? Because ultimately, if you're not bubbling up the important information, you're just, you're just getting consumed on the daily with data well, and you're reactionary all the time. That's the problem on the sim side, right? Is people have been collecting yeah. the data just for the sake of collecting the data without starting at what are the use cases I'm trying to attain? Let me collect that data and analyze it right. and add use cases and collect more data. Like it's just been a dumping ground, right? And so right. how do you how do you get to soar when that's your that's the problem that you're facing on the yeah, right? Or should we say dumpster fire? Maybe it's been a dumpster, dumpster fire. Dumpster fire. It could be a it's dumpster, a dumpster fire. fire. It could be a dumpster data lake. I don't know, because that's <laughs> what everybody's trying to figure out. Like, do I keep the head of my sim around and change its back end or do I swap the whole thing out? I mean, that's what they were talking about last week, which I haven't <clears throat> found interesting because I thought the sim kind of was like settled, but it's not. In cost. So, you know, yeah, there's still a lot of activity going on there. So I'm not sure some of these surveys fully align to what's actually happening in the I trenches. I mean, if there's, if there's one thing we're realizing is our data is not unified. There's, you know, there's, there's conflicting stories in every article I think I read. So, yeah. I, I, you know, it's just, it's, it's, I, it's too, it's too bad, you know, because we have, we have these articles that you start reading and, and you think they're going to add value. And then all of a sudden they become a product pitch or something to that effect. And right. I, th I right. think we just need to, to get aligned. Yes, get aligned. Uh, this last article that we're going to cover for 2021 is how to include cybersecurity training uh, in the employee onboarding process. This is one long checklist. <laughs> I was going through it. <laughs> I started it. I'm like, oh my God, this is like 13 items. I just kept going until I got through the bottom. So. Um, yeah, I, I, some of it makes sense to me, but man, it, it to me, checklist got to be somewhat short and succinct. This one's not very short. You know, you know, I, at the end of this, I think, I think this article highlights the fact that we've been doing it wrong all along. I think a component of security during onboarding is important, but I think, I think calling it training is, is doing a disservice to what we need to be yeah, doing because we need to be educating. We need to be educating. Right. Yeah. We need to be educating on 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 a cadence. We need to be educating to people's personal lives so they can carry it into work with them. We need to switch how we look at this and formalized training fails at every angle. So how yeah, do we embed knowledge transfer? How do we embed knowledge transfer and education into the daily? Yeah, the, the whole concept of training as an event that you do, it's a one time, right? It's when you start, it's once a year, like it just misses right. out on right. the continual the cycle that needs to happen. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I just, I, I have a huge distaste for that, that type of, of strategy. Yeah, and they talk about the ongoing cybersecurity education piece, but it's like at the end and all these other things are just like, like really, I got to implement a VPN yeah. from my remote but it's workers. Still, like, but it's still ongoing cybersecurity training. Like yeah. I don't want to stick people in a conference room and give them a check in the box training. I wanna I wanna give them you know quick hit snippets on 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 a more often cadence that they can relate and bring it home. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like I want them to be able to bring these strategies home with them and teach them how to protect their bank accounts. To teach them how to protect their own online presence, their own right. digital presence. And then they'll bring that into work with them. You know, yeah. what's in it for them? It's just, you know, at, at the end of the day, for, for, for the entirety of the staff of your organization, what's in it for them? Think about it from that perspective. And that's when we'll start making some really, really good headway. Because ultimately, you're educating people on how to protect themselves personally 
And that's, that is something they can take everywhere they go. Right. So, so what you're saying your- is do this for the right reasons instead of just a compliance yeah, initiative. That's wow. right. Right. Teach people how to protect their own social media accounts, to protect their data, to protect their bank accounts. They'll be yeah. better employees because they're they're using the practices they learn to protect their own stuff at work. That's it. Like, yeah, that's, that, that's the way better way to do it. But right, we, right. And, and, and whole, the only oh, go ahead, Matt. I was just gonna say this whole thing around cybersecurity awareness and training, we haven't learned that yet in 20 plus years. Yeah, right, right. And, and, and the other piece I, I, I'd love to be able to share with the, the audience is make sure that customer service is, is, is forefront in your mindset and when you're engaging with the users. Because here's the thing, a user's going to call you and they're going to have you know, a, a false positive. Instead of getting frustrated and rolling your eyes and being like stupid user, thank them. Because I would rather have people raising their hand for the wrong reason than not raising their hands at all. That's part of training them as well. It's okay to come to us if something smells off. If it's not, we're still in a good place. It's okay. Yeah. We need to treat humans like humans. Like yes. not, right? That's right. That's right. And, and and you know, you talk you talk about what kind of CISO you are. And and you know, in 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 my career. I've had the opportunity on changing hearts and minds of the brand of cybersecurity, right? Um, because again, going in, uh, going into a role where it hasn't been customer service centric and a business enabler or viewed that way, um, being able to change those hearts and minds and making it, making it a comfortable environment and a comfortable culture to raise your hand is extremely important. Otherwise, you have people just hiding and not telling you things and not trusting you, thinking they're going to get in trouble, right? or viewed mm-hmm. differently. And that's not what you want. You want an open environment where people can raise concerns anytime they feel it, even if it's a false positive, it's okay. Yep. Well, that, that, that's all training though, right? I mean, when you're, yes. when you're talking to people and the way in which you react and respond to information they're bringing you, you're, you're training them on how they're going to be treated in the future. So if it's a negative right. reaction, they're going to have a negative yep. response. Yep. Right. Customer service is key. It's not about training. It's about education. Gentlemen, thank you so much for a great 2021. Thank you everyone for joining us. This is our last episode of 2021. May everyone have a happy and safe holiday and new year. We'll see you next year on Business Security Weekly.